Greetings, everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. And aloha. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast. Coming to you from the third coast. It's going to be my great uh, joy to bring you guys the subject today. It's a solo show. I don't have a special guest, but it's a solo show based on cryptozoology, advanced cryptozoology at that. It's a topic that's very popular online and has been very popular uh, for many years, approaching um, much longer than it was sensationalized online via YouTube, etc., but giants. The subject of giants has been on everyone's mind for about five to six solid years, I believe. Uh, the first time I saw a video online about giants uh, existing was around 2014. Uh, 2015 is when I found out about like Rob Skiba and uh, Stephen Quayle, you know, Genesis 6, uh, and then 2015, 2016, 2017 was a uh, very strange time uh, for myself personally and for the world. I believe there's a lot of energy into spiritual revivalism into um, deciding to be to digitize Christian fundamentalism, which is a much better alternative than the hedonism and decadence of the last years of what many people can just define easily as the Obama era, the Obama uh, uh, era of American history, which was like from 2008 to 2016. And so there was this snapback, a, a massive response in people's uh, collective consciousness in many parts of America um, that uh, Christian fundamentalism and the truths that it had inside text extended beyond the ideologies and philosophies, the creed of belief, beyond the metaphysical and into physical controversial truths that were being suppressed by society. This hyper-focus on giants, specifically giants, but also Nephilim, uh, different monsters like Leviathan, Behemoth, uh, different things like demons, uh, spirits, angels, um, what was generally considered the most fanciful and archaic of the Old Testament and, uh, theologians and, and Christian legend and lore, um, what was seen as clear evidence of Christianity's importance when it came to culture building, uh, creating legends and, and, and myths um, between peoples in a Christian way, or, or Christians um, assimilating them and making them their own from local le legends and local stories. What seemed to be completely fictive and uh, written as an educational symbolic type text uh, became um, taken as fundamental reality and began to be thought of popularly 
as, and I mean popularly, these videos were getting hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views uh, before YouTube suppressed them, and um, they themselves kind of burnt out of momentum, never really being able to capitalize on anything, especially, say, for example, L.A. Morizula. If you are a part of the last decade's worth of YouTube um, fans and, and researchers and truthers like myself, then you remember L.A. Marzula and L.A. Marzula's um, uh, meteoric rise to fame based on his insider knowledge of like production values and like you know um, he's like the the fortune, the fortune, fought, uh, no, the, the, the 700 club, sorry, he's like the 700 club for people who believe in giants, <laughs> basically, and he would always have guests like Stephen Quayle, and so he's like the David Wilcock for people who believe only in giants and in biblical fundamentalism, <laughs> and, um, you know, very much uh, total Hollywood, like by that time it was Hollywood, by that time it was a profitable and popular enough idea that it was international, it was global people were making videos you know, every day on the subject uh, putting them on YouTube, putting them online uh, people were doing a lot of work in this topic the subject, and there's a lot of important information that's come out, I kind of want to go over a lot of it, and there's also a lot of things that have been missed and aren't truly understood in the terms of cryptozoology, uh, many things are not understood. Uh, that's the that's the, the nature of the beast, right? Basically, it's a, it's the study of the unknown, study of the unknown um, world around us. Um, there are many different ways of interpreting the extremity of this unknown, and whether or not it's it's limited only by your imagination of what you do not know. And how things are possible that you cannot imagine. So thus, humanity is often limited to just assuming the, mis the mystery is still within the borders of the known. And it's very interesting to think about the subject of giants. Because if they are real, it, it, it invalidates the idea that mankind is naturally aware of even the very obvious and it really goes to show that mankind's uh, view of the world is limited to their five senses and then the five senses themselves are limited to the surroundings the environment of the self and then the environment of the self being dictated by the society where the self belongs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you start thinking about things like the reinforcement of this theory and the disclosure of the sources of legend and lore. For every legend, it's truth. And there's, there's truth behind it. And when you think of things like the Middle Ages, where giants typically figure in European folklore and mythology, uh, even though they're... they're ancient. They, they go back to before the age of Rome, before the uh, earliest days of the Druids, before history was started to be written down, there were reports of, uh, there were legends and stories of giants, trolls, etc. Um, 
they're, they're fundamental to a human society uh, in many, many ways. And then you go to the controversies of them being societies and, and civilization builders themselves and where humanity is, is coming from in terms of perspective. Because even to say that before human written history that we had legends of them denotes the fact that only humans write history on in the world and the humans' um, ability to remember and to um, share this information to teach each other is the only way that we create accepted reality or consensual reality except for the personal experiences that each of us has so if two people disagree because two people haven't experienced the same thing there is an impasse that can never be bridged if you if you say that this isn't the way unless that person has the ability to teach the other one or educate the other one and the other one is willing to believe the other as like if people people need to understand that written human history isn't when people started writing things down it's when we start teaching each other about our own experiences it's very different there was oral history there was there was legend that was sung in poetry and song and stuff uh, writing things down is to preserve uh, your experiences for all time it was, it's very uh, very miraculous really when you think of it it's the, it's the proof of the, why human beings are, are a higher level of creatures basically not just beasts of the earth and this does not exclude that giants have the same ability which is what I was saying, is that this, this idea that we're not finding relics and cities from these giants is not necessarily true. We are actually finding and learning most of our history from the ancient civilizations that these cryptids or these giants left behind. Because there is the divide. People think that the cryptids, the giants, are dangerous. They think that they are feral. They think they are savage. And yes there is arguments for that but people are also forgetting the ideas of their civilization their society their advancement and progress and there is that saying on the shoulders of giants we stand and it's because our civilization I believe is fundamentally based in the ruins and in the model of these ancient giants which we have uh, confused history and tried to hide. Uh, not because of accomplishments and deeds of our own, but because of the... Uh, the I guess you call it the spiritual um, isolation of, of the human soul. And it's the same as the the keeping of the secret for extraterrestrials is the same as the keeping of the secret for people in the hollow earth. It's the same for the keeping of the secret anywhere and everywhere. Because the keeping of a secret is that in one atom you can see the unit. The keeping of any secret lies the same philosophical and ideological attempt, which is to control and um, play God. Control the universe and play God. Because you are trying to control reality. You're trying to exert your power over um, other people's lives and your life itself because you're trying to keep a secret, which is um, part of the God complex of the, of the human race.
and that's part of the God complex of the American people and the American society and the idea of the USA, which is to say that uh, when people think of false idols and things like that, they think of things like um, statues and gods, but people don't think of things like nations, which, ha which can be false idols and which people have made into gods. Uh, gods in their image, false gods. And that uh, the issue of biblical reality, I believe, is much easier to digest when you start using every piece of the puzzle, like, uh, but the most important, like, like the giants, like the ancient ruins, like the, the migrations of the Hebrews, etc., and you start looking at the different patterns of existence, and you're like, okay, you know, I get it. Like, it really did happen. But then you start looking at the ramifications of the most important discovery in Revelation of learning that the ancient world is both as incredible and um, legendary as the myths make it out to be, but also as um, lost. Like the only word I'm thinking about right now is lost. How lost it is to us now. Through divine action, through divine purpose. Because people always think, well, the entire world was hit by a flood, or the world was uh, created and recreated several times, many times, many different races of people, many different eons, epochs. Uh, having just read the Popo Bowl and, uh, or the Popo Boo, and uh, displayed that on the episode this week, on an episode this week, that mankind was made three times, uh, and the Mayan, Aztec, Yucatan, uh, people's mythology in Genesis once made out of mud but these men uh, they did not speak when they spoke they spoke nonsense uh, they, they, they could not even stand when it was wet but they were giants now this is the important part of the people of mud and they were the first to be created they displeased the gods because they were so um, basically uh, physically vulnerable and weak. And I know that sounds ironic and counterproductive because you're like, they're giants, right? Like, surely, and you're thinking in a, in a frame of mind of present-day superiority or inferiority, right? Either one of those, but you're thinking in present-day terms. You're also thinking in the terms of a man and a mortal. You're not thinking in terms of a god. At least not in terms of a god in creating a world. At least not in terms of God creating the perfect world. Because many times we have to ask, why, why is God doing this? Why did God do this at all? Why did God allow this to happen? The creation of giants. But then the, the, uh, the, the extinction of the giants. Then the attack on the giants. The uh, destruction of them. And then the, the revenge, as it were, on his own creation. Including uh, the concepts of the flood. Or of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, you know, Lot's wife 
uh, that those stories where God is uh, wrathful and vengeful against the that which he ultimately created and um, controls. Um, and, and that's one of those questions that it's left to more of a spiritual realm at that point. But if you wanted just to focus on the physical aspects of it, in almost every single major Genesis story, I just use the Pope as an example because that's on fresh mind. There is a giant form of being that is made and attributed to dirt, to mud, to clay, in some cases rocks. These Promethean first beings in mythology represent the artificiality of all life the intelligent design of all forms be they human beast, creature of the sea or air and the direct intervention both in the creation of and destruction of the judgment of by higher celestial cosmic powers gods ancient aliens, however you want to interpret that, these higher sovereign forces who create life decide the fates of life and ultimately increase or extinct that life according to their grand master designs and plans and, and uh, their hearts, right, their satisfactions, however you want to interpret their motivations. This is important because the thing I want to say is that these giants are not made of biological matter that we are uh, as human beings that we are as mammals in the animal kingdom in fact it would be very hard to classify them I believe inside the animal kingdom as it stands now as it stands governed and dictated by the mainstream academic society because they are not biological. They are made of minerals. They are made of clay and mud and rock and, and metals, crystals, things like that. They are made of this in a way that is like how golems are depicted in ancient Hebrew Talmudic Kabbalistic scriptures that they are created from mud but inscribed with uh, holy names uh, magical glyphs um, you know uh, geometric uh, like sacred geometry and geometric signals and this imbues them with an energy and a life force in which they can pilot and control their bodies but that the spirit and the intelligence which does that derives from the spirit world the ether the great beyond and that they're allowed to come into these vessels and fill them up as described in the way that water fills a, a, a carrying vase having been so carefully prepared by the uh, potter 
and the same thing as these rabbis, these Talmudic uh, magicians could create homunculi or golems out of clay, stone, and statue, and imbue them with an intelligence. Now, there is a metaphysical interpretation, obviously, that you can that the story is based on, and that your first impression is because oh, they're getting spirits, they're getting demons, they're getting um, metaphysical. If you don't, if you don't believe in this, this is all an unprovable, unreal concepts. If you do believe in it, then you're thinking literally like yo, they're making deals with demonic forces and fallen angels, and and uh, spirits are interdimensional beings. If you want to be a materialist about it, it's not impossible that they were making robots. That they were making computers and putting them into robotic systems that were interpreted to be dirt, but could be some kind of material, uh, some kind of um, self-healing metal or rubber or plastic uh, over a steel skeleton over um, the the framework and the wiring and the, the pneumatics and the tubes that would exist underneath the frame to create a gigantic robot that would be able to survive without rusting without um, you know having birds nest in it and things like that like you know what I'm saying like and even then they, they uh, birds nesting is very important to this so so bear with me even then the original manufacturing uh, look of it right out of the shop right when you take the plastic off off something is not the same as if it were hundreds of years old living in the wilds of the world having all the natural growth dust uh, dirt etc placed on it through time the weathering and like I said natural formations like uh, trees growing on it um, I've seen a tree grow on a power line trees can grow on in, in concrete that's what I'm saying like it's very easy to believe that natural vegetation would grow on it if it was ever in a period of immobility for a while um, things like uh, birds would nest on it um, being just like it's any other uh, creature that they would they would you know flock to and use like a uh, uh, artificial nesting site like a mountain giving it a very strange appearance and if I have to spell it out if you haven't already I believe that these giants as featured in the Old Testament as featured in myths and legends are not biological things. They are artificial constructs. They are artificial uh, human-like or beast-like machinery that was designed by extraterrestrials or intelligent beings of an unknown origin. That part, I'm not going to speculate on. They were created, even even by man, or even by early man, exactly. I'm not going to speculate on that. They were created to be terraformers, or armies, or, um, you know, just the, the beings that would 
go out and explore and maybe tame wildernesses. Remember, the scale of the world, scale of the earth is very large. Or maybe even to suppress societies like man and made to, to purposely do this and keep men isolated, separate uh, kingdoms and to kind of basically equalize the playing field and just and exist as like a long-term loiter um, um, menace in the area. Whenever men would try to trade or travel or whenever they would try to communicate and build like, you know, um, empires, the, these giants would be activated having been safely kept in like a forest or a, or a cave system, they would activate and then attack or assemble or appear um, to these people who in their primitive, you know, state of civilization would have no frame of reference as to what they were seeing, as to what they were experiencing. They would see these giants as giant men. Because that was the only thing that they could interpret them as. The same thing that I'm thinking is going on in the giant, the pro giant community in the truth movement, the pro fundamental Old Testament community in the truth movement, is that it's not looking at itself in the right context. It's thinking it's justified in overwhelmingly returning to a. Um, primitive mindset but it needs to re-read the Old Testament in a modern man's mindset not disqualifying or, or um, disbelieving in the spiritual aspect of it but seeing what the, the, the Holy Spirit is trying to show us with the limitations of verse and word <coughs> the major limitation of verse and word is being giant is it's the idea of these giants are, are things are, are things of biological nature such as the flaming bush for example that event happened but to believe it was a bush on fire is to, to just not consider Symbolism. It's not to consider any kind of interpretation of a phenomenon that, in the face of it, would be like you are in fact encountering God, but the bush has to literally be a bush on fire. Like, you understand this, is what I'm trying to say. You, you literally believe the bush has to be a bush made of bush wood and leaf and things, like with roots and soil and, and, and um, it caught on fire and burned and this is that that's what you believe really happened then you're, you're not you have no imagination you have no frame of reference for, for what they could possibly more realistically be talking about, as I'm saying if I said, it's a blue sky day and you think it really is a blue sky day, then you don't understand turns of phrases, or as like, there's, there's a huge amount of uh, communication between human beings that is that needs to be understood innately before you can start interpreting things instinctively. 
as artistic phrases. You know, like when I, when people paint things, it's not the literal thing that they're painting that they're trying to communicate. It's an intangible experience or emotion, or or or, or uh, you know, it's um, it's why men would endeavor to work so hard to create something that can be uh, understood by so many and it's weird that it still isn't because it's not the perspective of po- the majority of the people can understand these things are just and you know uh, obviously interpreting or explaining something else same thing with the ancient aliens people it's weird that the ancient aliens people get a lot of shit from the people who really do believe in God and because it's like this idea that oh you're trying to uh, make our God your aliens etc etc it's like you think those people would get along. You think those people would understand that there's something else and greater going on and that, you know, they have more in common than the people who just simply believe it's an entire fairy tale and that there is no God at all. And the people who argue that, like, Jesus didn't exist and shit. And you're like, as I'm saying, like, you'd think those people would team up on the other guys. And then, exactly, like, you know, it's... It'd make a tag team, you know, the the Jesus freaks and the alien freaks would get along, and then you get like the Jesus is an alien guys going, um, like the Catholics are, are talking about baptizing aliens, and that's a pretty smart move. Because it's like that, it's like yeah, eventually there's gonna be a crossroads, and the alien community and the church community have a lot more in common. <laughs> have a lot more in common than people who believe, you know, that both of them are crazy, and you no, know, so it's. So it's kind of like meeting in the middle, where I believe that they wrote down what ex- what they experienced. That there were kingdoms, kingdoms of these giants that lived in the mountains, that were destroyed by God, specifically by raining stones on them, which could be interpreted to be either artillery or comets, asteroids, etc., and that wiped out their kingdom during the time of the uh, Israeli conquest, or the Hebrew conquest of the Holy Jerusalem. Where people, and the most controversial aspect of my beliefs is that I believe that North America was the biblical Jerusalem and biblical Old Testament um, Holy Land, and that ancient Egypt was actually ancient Atlantis, or ancient uh, the Mayans, the, the Yucatan Aztecs, uh, which were Atlanteans, and so it's I, I I kind of um, am am center, uh, uh, creating a synergy between all these ancient old world uh, mysteries and really uniting it all together. The giants I believe that they were talking about lived in North America instead of Europe or in the Middle East. I believe that most giants live in North America still, specifically in the Rocky Mountains which were the mountains that the Raphaim in the Old Testament are written to live in. Because that's the thing with the Old Testament. Like I said, a lot of the giant knowledge that we have, because the last five years, is from Old Testament uh, biblical scholars and, uh, you know, like things like um, Christian uh, Hebrews, uh, you know, uh, Abrahamic um, literalists, like fundamentalists, things like that. Um, and the agreement and the fascination people have between the folklore and mythology 
aspect of the giants, right? So I'll be getting into what Europe and, and North Russia and the Middle East, because, yeah, it's a global phenomenon. Giants are everywhere because they were placed there. But I'll speak about why I think a lot of the accounts are, are proving what I think is right. The giants were made in the image of the creators, the same way that mankind was made in the image of the creators. Everything was made in the image of the creators. That has a humanoid or earthly uh, origin, right? Or an earthly origin. So you get your hands, your fingers, your toes. They're not reptilian. Everything was made by reptilians. It has this kind of weird draconic, dragonic look to it. Serpentine look to it. This is when giants looked like men. You can say they had six fingers, six toes, two rows of teeth, bright red hair, whatever, right? Uh, the thing they did have was extremely pale skin or blue skin. Now that's important. Extremely pale skin or blue skin. And you can say that they tattooed themselves or they painted themselves. I think that's a sign that they weren't biological. They were made of plastic or rubber or some kind of material akin to that, uh, some polymorph, some carbon composite that would act like their skin. But it wasn't the natural brown or khaki hues of humanity. So these were in, in no way related because they were not biological to any animal on Earth. They're not Giganopithecus, they're not Neanderthals, they're not Dissonovans or Denisovans? Yeah, Denisovans. They're not uh, in any way, shape, or form attached to the primate family tree. They're not attached to any animal's family tree. They're not biological. They start basically ruling this part of the earth. The, the ancient Greeks talked about it a lot. And if you are to believe that ancient Greece is in the same context that I'm talking about, that is a part of, of North America as well at this time. When the ancient Greeks are talking about their travels of Odysseus, some islands are entirely populated by giants who are feral, who perform blood sacrifices, who eat people, cannibalize them. That are, that are otherwise, though, functioning societies of giants. When they talked about the Cyclops, for example, the Cyclops was found farming sheep or raising sheep. He had livestock. The Cyclops had um, friends and brothers on the island as well. They were a nation of shepherds. They were busy with the daily minutiae of existence the same as human beings. They had to account for their own survival. This is very telling because I don't think the giants have ever stopped doing that. I don't think people understand what giants truly are about, even in the Old Testament. Yes, they worshipped false gods. Yes, they were destroyed. And they warred against the Hebrews. But they were not warring against the ancient Egyptians. They exist in pockets because at this point I believe they were already broken 
as a society by the flood. Because all this stuff in the ancient world, the Old Testament, ancient Greece, happens after the Great Flood. Now, now, you gotta look at deep time here, not putting any dates on this, but all of human history that we have comes from Noah. Noah's uh, survival and basically onward. Right? Even Abraham, all of that. They come from the, the descendancy of Noah. Everything else was lost and purposely destroyed. Noah spoke about having giants on their ship, on that ark. The daughters that were married by the sons of Noah were gigantic, were giants. Now, you can say that's a different kind of giant, and I agree. That's more of someone who was nine feet tall or something in, in, in the shape of, um, you know, not these, not these gigantic 30 to 90 foot tall giants, which is uh, what I'm talking about, these massive titans. Uh, but if you look back into what's presumed by the Noahide law and what happened to Noah, they had corrupted all the flesh. They had corrupted every single thing on Earth, and had performed experiments, had performed um, scientific uh, uh, research on them, experiments corrupting the flesh, making it no longer natural. This could have been when the giants were invented. This could have been when those giants uh, came to be. These people who were destroyed could be what we know as the creators of humanity. Humanity could be a product of these creators. As unnatural as any ceramic or as unnatural as any uh, pottery. The life on earth now could be what merely was saved both are possible we don't know because it was only saved because of Noah obviously there's going to have a perspective there what I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of events in the old Noahide uh, history the, the pre-flood history which could explain why we are currently living with these giants that seem uh, not bio not traditionally biological, not of flesh and blood, not of the flesh and blood that we have, but they're made of seemingly inorganic material. They they have societies. They have um, intelligence, for the most part. A lot of these sightings that we've seen come from the most the, the fringest, furthest edges of society one of the modern uh, giant uh, sightings that everyone talks about is the giant of Kandahar the red haired giant in Afghanistan the eyewitnesses state that giant had blue skin red hair was hostile but very primitive had spears had like, lived in a cave 
Maybe the last of his kind. Maybe as lost and as primitive, as evolved, as um, any uncontacted human. Someone who is paranoid and lashes out. Uh, someone who is uh, purposely hiding out. A hermit. I don't believe that was very indicative of the species. Of the race of these giants. A less well-known but equally fascinating account of giants being discovered was in Lake Baikal where locals reported to communist members of parties, I remember finding this in one of the disclosed files of communism, that the Lake Baikal seashore has caves, and it's a massive lake. Remember, it's miles and miles long. One of the, one of the areas on the seashore has caves, and if you go into these caves, you are led to a gallery, and the gallery contains giants in stasis. They are reported as having red hair, long beards, long hair, gigantic in stature, 30 feet tall. They were naked all save for a symbol on their chest, which was a medallion that they wore as a necklace, that appeared to be of a bat. And though the locals didn't know anything about this subject, they could presume that they were either mummified because they looked per or they were asleep. Basically, they said they looked like they were just asleep. Meaning they weren't rotten, they weren't skeletons, they were in stasis. It's very interesting to put that too because I think their advanced technology allows them to hibernate and has allowed most of them simply to go into a state of stasis and hibernation which keeps the giants secret, which keeps the giants hidden. Like I said, we're we're getting into the second hour here, so I was just explaining the backstory of the giants and where I'm coming from and talking about them. Points made, though, it is a mystery where exactly they come from. What it is clear, though, is that it's we're not dealing with mindless, gigantic men. We're not dealing with mindless, gigantic humanity that is overwhelmed by hunger that is uh, savage in nature that is for most for the most part for the for the great majority of parts that is lost and confused and obsolete in the world we were dealing with a race of entities with extremely different biologies with extremely alien cultures that have a strange, uncanny valley effect to them, where the daily life and daily existence of them, their abilities, their potential, is exactly like ours, because they were created by the same creators. And thus, they are modeled after the same lifestyles, the same ability to think, the same intellect, the same logic. Their wild physical variants could be intentional, or it could be a um, experiment that is just a detail, 
thrown up to luck and chance of and the whims of the creator. They are physically described as appearing artificial and in no way have any connection to real-life biological, um, um, physical, like, you know, um, blood-and-flesh type uh, appearance. If anything, they appear mineral. They appear like a mineralogical phenomenon, geological phenomenon. Like, literally, rocks carved into people and given life. Like, literally, um, boulders like you know that that can that have faces or or uh mountainsides that have like you know arms and legs this i believe is attributed to the fact that many of them have the weathering significant weathering because of their societal collapse and because of their own age and um you know programming faults and flaws as represented by the fact that in most of the world's, mankind's genesis stories, the gods are angered at the giants, and the gods seek revenge against the giants by destroying their domination of the earth, destroying their society, destroying their abilities, and leaving them to exposed weather to the flood of time, basically. I believe this is why most of the giants are in stasis. I believe most of them have been in stasis the entire existence of modern human history. I believe most of them exist in cities in the hollow earth intentionally shut off from uh, mankind on the surface. Hollow earth giants. I believe that most of them, while malcontent uh, with their situation and indirectly hostile to humanity, are isolationists and have no contact with outside societies or uh, anything else besides their livestock in terms of, of the earth. I believe, so, so the frequency of sighting them is extremely rare because of their intelligence, because of their knowledge of the real world, the history of the world, and the fact that they are intentionally hiding. They are intentionally trying to keep themselves secret. And where that fails, they can cooperate with local authorities based on their, you know, uh, benefits of being able to secure, in many, many ways, the right of privacy. They can directly negotiate in the language of men to keep their area secret, off-limits, etc. That being said, I believe that the best way to find them is through aerial photography, through satellite photography... And through photography from um, the past, in the last hundred years, of areas in the frontier. And you can see them with a trained eye, with an expert eye, trained in military intelligence or uh, visual data intelligence, of looking for things like men in camouflage, like wildlife photography is a good way to start looking at panoramics of pictures and trying to find life that's camouflaged like birds in the trees or elk or bear or deer or like rabbits in the grass because if you can learn how to see a rabbit in the grass you can learn how to see a giant if you can learn how to see a tiger in the grass you can see you can learn to see a giant if you can learn to see a owl in a tree that's camouflaged you can learn to see a giant if you can see a lizard against a 
piece of bark and the skin and the color is camouflaged to look like its surroundings, you can see a giant because it's the same principle and it's the same psychic uh, training of detecting the biological life form that you seek inside the, 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 the universe, the forest, the world, the jungle. When you can hone in, zero in, and concentrate and use your sixth sense to do this, the world becomes extremely apparent to you. Like it's obvious how hidden they are and how but they're not. They're everywhere. They're all over the world, especially in uh, right next to us. And especially in these corrupt areas like Los Angeles, uh, Area 51, Skinwalker Ranch. Anything with a high level of strangeness, cryptid sightings like Loch Ness, um, etc., forests of the world, mountains of the world, you can see the entrances of their cave systems, their hollow earth cities, you can see structures that they use and have left behind in national parks, you can see footprints in things like the deserts of America, you can see... Um, them living on islands where they really have no place to maneuver except inside the caves and caverns that they built. Solomon Islands is very particular. Malta, um, Staten Island, Jekyll Island in California, Catalonia, uh, or, or Catalina Island is uh, home to them. Um, everywhere, basically, they exist seemingly out in the open at times. Which could only mean that the overwhelming majority, the 99% of their society is left unseen underneath our feet, under, literally underneath our feet, in the cities that we call home and in the countryside that we live next to, but do not own as a people. We no longer own the national parks, we no longer own wilderness preserves, wildlife zones, wilderness zones. This is where I believe it's very obvious to find them. And I highly encourage anyone to check out a channel called Roger in KC. Roger in KC is in Kansas City. And Roger in KC is a channel that for years has been going over photographs of the places like Hoover Dam, Skinwalker Ranch, etc., etc., old military bases, and finding things like parked and camouflaged UFOs, parked and camouflaged extraterrestrial technology. Or advanced human technology um, ancient giants that are like say for example in the Hoover Dam petrified against the wall um, the, the ancient monuments and megaliths that have been eroded and have been confused with natural monuments like in the Grand uh, Butte of Montana or in the Grand Tetons um, in the Painted Rocks area the ideas that he is able to in his videos uh, allow himself to think is m much more free and, and, and effective than any of the so-called cryptozoologists or ufologists in the mainstream because they are dealing with trying to make sense of the world from a very limited perspective and even though they admit that there is an unexplained phenomenon occurring, they are limiting their answers to what they know and what they can imagine. And it doesn't have, and their minds are, they're, they're not awake, they're not enlightened or initiated to history or to the 
the scale of the phenomenon and the situation that they're dealing with in a way that someone who has never been outside in their front yard has never seen the Himalayan mountains, has never seen the bottom of the ocean. Someone who's never seen um, the ocean doesn't understand the fact that 75% of the world's surface is water because all they've ever seen is land. To them, 100% of the world is land. You know, like it's perspective. It's like a fish doesn't know they're wet. People who think that they are um, experts in one subject or another, UFOs or cryptids, are oftentimes the most uh, closed-minded people because they already have answers. It's called um, it's called uh, affirmation bias. People who think, for example, like these giants are um, not real will never be able to understand or see the reality of the world that they're living in. And that's okay from the system's point of view because the system has never wanted you to know that they exist. The system does everything they can to try to discourage you from believing this, from trying to get you to stay away from these areas. And they do everything from closed down roads to make this, uh, the property, the entire 100,000 acres where these things build their cities on off limits in national parks. And they don't mind that you don't want to go out because it's hot, because there are mosquitoes, because um, that. And so they release these photos because they know that even if you look at them, and as a lot of they, they do a lot of editing, they do a lot of censoring, they do a lot of airbrushing, but they know that they can they can miss things because you are so unaware as an investigator, and I mean these are the people in the cryptozoological movement who are not on this trip yet, who are not at this level. And yes, I do kind of mean it in an insulting way because I want to light a fire under you guys and I want you guys to do a lot better. If you're looking at photos and you expect to see a clear HD definition portrait of a cryptid or a giant or a Bigfoot, Sasquatch, sea monster, whatever, and not expect the, you having to actually work, not expecting to actually having to, you know, um, analyze some 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 grainy footage or some um, you know obscured half-hidden frame of a creature you're not actively understanding what wildlife photography is you're not actively understanding what natural investigation is what real biology is what real zoology is what real cryptozoology really is it's not having things handed to you on a silver platter it's not having literally everything already written down in an easily um, viewable summary of five minutes or less uh, where you're like, oh, that gives me all the definitions. No, it's, you are literally, in some cases, in most cases, the first person to ever make connections when you are really a good cryptozoologist. You're the first person to ever see things and photos no one else has seen before. You're the first person to see things in photos everyone's always seen before. You're the first person to be the like to provide this evidence because this evidence isn't there yet. That's the point of cryptozoology. It's the point of it. You're not in making it, you're not inventing it, but you are you are you have the eyes to see. You are on a path that no one's traveled before. You're making the path. You're making that trail. You're you're making the rules of the game as you go. Because in all good sciences, 
there has to be that first one. There has to be a, 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 an adventurer, an explorer. Uh, even in the world of, say, for example, Aztec or Mayan uh, monuments and ruins, people think there are teams, hundreds of people. There are there is one, or maybe two, or three people in the world who are capable of reading that language. So everyone has to be the first one to, you know, trial and error, work it out, basically, figure it out. And, and what, what we have is not a lack of knowledge. We have a lack of manpower, a lack of qualified, talented individuals who can figure this stuff out because everyone's a follower and no one's a leader. And it takes it, it's going to be a, a decade of leaders, I think, and it always is when it's not co-opted, when it's not for profit, when it's not for the lowest common denominator. Same thing I've been saying a while. The giants with the sea monsters, with Bigfoot, with Sasquatch, with the different flying uh, creatures of the world. People start. People need to start advancing the the, the discourse, advancing the study of it, uh, being much more active and proactive than reactive. There will always be more reactive people than proactive or active people but much more people need to become active and proactive if we're going to see any advancement or or, uh, discovery in the next 10 years which someone is going to make these discoveries the bravest and boldest are the ones going to get to that prize first the ones willing to use their imagination the ones willing to dare and to go uh, you know or even eagles fear Basically, we cannot wait just simply to watch videos and then try to debunk them. That is not real cryptozoological evidence. That's not. We can't just simply read or watch other people's interpretations of things. We have to make our own. We have to create very distinct signature voices inside the realm of uh, this study, this discipline. And I'll be trying to do that in the next hour uh, when we talk about the evidence for the civilizations living amongst us, below us, and maybe even above us. Thank you, back. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoy the music. Okay, greetings. Namaste, Angelo. Beyond Top Secret Text and everyone out there in Dreamland. Thank you all very much for joining me. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your support. I know it's a strange subject. Stranger still to hear a podcast episode about it without any visual aids or anything, but I've done my best to try to make it a uh, classic, you know, uh, radio type broadcast. I, I, I myself like visualizing imagine but I know that there's no substitution for visuals or video and in fact let's bring up the subject of mankind's perceptions and his senses mankind is only limited to understanding the world by his senses whether or not you think there's five senses or many more six cents seven cents eight cents nine cents uh, ten cents you know tally me banana uh, basically the human being, the human species, 
is is fundamentally connected to the human being's uh, individual senses, right? In knowing the world, you can touch, you can sense. This is the physical reality living to understand different concepts, tangential realities, properties, etc. That's all intangible. The actual knowledge of the world, which you know for certain, is what you can sense. When you start to distrust your senses, when you start to question them, a lot of people think that the universe is then unknowable. And this is just the evolution of the growth of a normal phys- uh, philosophical human being. That you are first as an infant beholden only to what you know because you've sensed it, right? You're retroactively receiving this information and then making sense of it, right? The universe is a great other that's acting on you, teaching you what it is. Then you start questioning. Then you start questioning your senses. The idea of you start paying attention to your dreams. And if in a dream that is not real, you can sense something very real. Eating ice cream, for example, in a dream conveys the taste of the ice cream, conveys sometimes the temperature, the coldness, the mouthfeel of the cream uh, melting in your mouth, uh, the, the ice cream being cold in your hands, the taste being very strong like a mint or something coming in very clearly, producing the happiness and the pleasure of waking life when you nourish your physical body with ice cream, when you indulge, that can come through in a dream, and it's purely mental. That's what they would like you to believe. So you start questioning that, and then you realize that nothing that people sense is reason alone for things existing. That's producing the agnosticism, the, the wayward limbo. If one were to mature more, philosophically endeavor longer and reach a heightened state of stamina and mental physical mental fitness, mental strength then you would realize that with your senses you're able to even see through illusion and that while illusions had got you questioning your senses you realize your senses, your God-given senses, are the best way of viewing reality versus illusion. You can see through the illusion. Like I said, the instinct of seeing through camouflage, of using your senses to distinguish between real and the, the illusionary nature that, na- that nature itself wants you to believe, that nature itself wants you to be confused by. Predator and prey both use camouflage to, uh, to survive, right? You realize that nature is the one trying to make you doubt the real world around you. Your dreams are not. Because your dreams are created through your senses. I'm not really here to talk about the dreams, but I'm talking about the fact is that once you start saying things like seeing isn't believing or don't always trust what you see don't always believe what you see things like that they're half-truths don't see this don't see what they want you to see see what you see don't let don't anyone tell you that what you saw wasn't real 
trust your gut. Now, I said I want to provide visual um, a companion to this and everything. So when I do post the preview, I'll post some of the great photos. But I'll post links to Roger and KC so that you guys can see it for yourself. But seeing to me is believing. Seeing to me is is always believing. In fact, many people, when they see something, realize that what they didn't believe in was actually the opposite. They believed in the fact that it didn't exist, that the experience wasn't real, until they experience it. And they realize that the world they believe in is the illusion, that they were superstitiously attached to the fact that these things were not real. That was the true superstition when they could simply have experienced it for themselves, opened their eyes, and brought reality in. <clears throat> now this is going to be my great pleasure in bringing you guys um, this clip from Roger and Casey, where he is talking about a group of giants that he has discovered in examining a photograph from a great distance of a mountainside, uh, the specific mountain being Mount Maru. Um, He'll be going into details, and I'll be trying to my best to explain the process here and what the physical description of what we're seeing is, but how, like I said before, these creatures <clears throat> who are intelligent, and it's, it's weird to call them creatures, these beings which are intelligent do not have the weaknesses and frailties of biology. They can exist in great altitudes, and they can exist under great physical stresses like cold, uh, heat, etc., they're not beholden to needing water or food. They appear to be geological to a great degree. People, if they would assume that they were biological, would, would think that they were incredibly well camouflaged. Skin texture, blending in with the background, uh, irregular lines, subtle body movements. They do not bring attention to themselves. Their intelligence is denoted for the fact that they are always in a civic order, not being wild animals, not in engaging in combat or fights, not making a scene. They are always silently observing, showing discipline and intention. They wear clothing. They wear hats, specifically hats. They wear very ornate hats, um, a, a showing that they have a cultural, anthropological importance for royalty and authority and civilization as embodied by accessorizing the human form or the physical form with jewelry and with like um, uh, regalia and with like decoration and it shows like, like there are pictures that he's shown of what appears to be medieval princesses complete with the crowns and the braids ghastly white like ivory and standing near mountainsides as if though they are coming out for fresh air. And these beings are hundreds of feet tall. Is what I'm saying is that they have a civilization just like we do and they're not drooling, savage, nude beasts for the 99.9% .9 of the time that they are ever witnessed or sighted. Um, having a sense of unearthly uncanny valley mastery of like of humanity it's like form itself in a weird way but keep but kept to the shadows kept to the outskirts kept to the greatest frontiers and 
it's not a weep for them situation based on scale and space. Like I said, they're building cities. They have these territories. Even in their great scale of their physical, about 100 feet tall doors uh, for, you know, 60 foot tall people. And you can call them people for lack of a better word. Uh, you know, these halls that are miles long, uh, buildings that are miles tall, underground that go deep. And it's their living quarters and their working quarters and their, their, their society, right? And it's built in areas like the Rocky Mountains. Now, when people think of things like human cities, like New York City, they think of like, oh, that must be so, like, how could they live in mountains when they could live in the flatlands where humanity lived? New York City is 300 square miles, roughly 300 square miles. All of it. All the five boroughs, Manhattan to the Brooklyn, all of it, right? All the buildings fit within that 300 square miles. All of our surface society, those millions of people live in those 300 square miles. And that being the largest city in America. The Rocky Mountains are 300, or three, yeah, let's see, 300,000 square miles. The Rocky Mountains are 300,000 square miles of empty, isolated, high altitude, severe weather, solid rock. That is natural park, national uh, national treasure type, uh, like um, kept pristine and unpolluted and undisturbed. No major cities outside of Denver and a few others. Generally in a very uh, frontier type place, right? Where, it's, where there are no roads, very difficult uh, some places even to, to get near these mountains, let alone to, to say that you ascend them, etc. And it has thousands of mountains, many of them not even named, that are over 10,000 feet tall. 14,000 feet tall is the highest elevation I've ever been in, in the Rocky Mountains driving past a reservoir. Reservoirs which could be collecting water to either to share with them or to, you know, exactly hot power their hydroelectric. The idea that you could have mountaintop reservoirs, which they are capable of building, mountaintop roads connecting tunnels, etc. It's, it's for humans a frontier that we are now starting to master. Or now at least uh, we've been there, but, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's seemingly at the edge of our, of our abilities. They could build hundreds of New York-sized cities inside the Rocky Mountains very safely from, Canada, from Alaska to Canada to all the way down to Mexico. And then they have South America with, with the mountain chain of the Andes Mountains and from Chile uh, to Colombia. They have uh, the Amazon jungles. They have the deserts of America. They have the Canadian forests. They have the American forests. They have the Adirondacks. They have the Appalachia. They have... Uh, of the islands and lakes of um, you know of the world, they have like I said, international reach because they're underground and interconnected with these tunnels and with these cities. They are Europeans uh, uh, giants. They are African giants. They are Southeast Asian giants. They are Russian giants in Siberia, etc. The, the the amount of land that is available for a mountainous or extreme weather cre uh, being. To develop a civilization, especially if it's intentionally trying to keep it underground or secret and away from mankind, 
and do so in a way that is seemingly impossible for mankind to do, i.e. like live in solid stone. Because of their great strength and great intelligence, they are able to create cities in stone and mountainsides inside the hearts of mountains. For example, there's a geological thing called the uh, Canadian Shield, right? The Canadian Shield is also called the Laurentian Plateau. It's a large area of exposed pre-Cambrian ignatius and high-grade metamorphic rock that forms the ancient geological core of the North American continent. It is 8 million square kilometers. 8 million square kilometers. Not the size of Canada or the continental United States, but if they chose to build a civilization inside the granite itself, carving out um, the cities, the rooms, the halls, from the very granite, and using that granite to defend them, to support them, to keep them hidden, it wouldn't be visible from space. There wouldn't be satellite photography about it. There wouldn't. All you would see is the forest, the mountaintops. You would see um, the the surface. The like you would see a roof or a, of a building, and you would have to pretend what's underneath that type thing. Like exactly. Like it's not like they are intentionally kept in the open and victims of nature or weather. They are the survivors, the remnants of a society that had total global domination and had angered the extraterrestrial cosmic powers that had created them biblically reported as the corruption of the indigenous life forms through experimentation through scientific endeavor Could this be reference to themselves? That this was a species of humans that existed in a technological utopia that decided to trans to transfer their souls, their living consciousnesses, into beings, giants of machinery and like silicone and rubber and the minerals and rocks of the earth, like steel, titanium, etc. To switch from the weak biological mortal bodies that God had made for them and recreate themselves also written in the Papavu and the second creation as men made of wood before finally the earth was inherited by the men made of flesh Then one has to think, what even is flesh? What even is the mortal, physical, biological body? What are the origins of meat, bone, blood, brain matter? What, what is that? But another form of clay, but another form of material to be engineered, to be worked with, to be treated like clay and have 
the artist's will and creativity flow into it and create something unique and imbued with a spirit. John the Baptist, when rebuking the Hebrews for their um, um, arrogance, and not the Hebrews, but the Jews, the, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, that in the time of Christ, when he was rebuking these corrupt members of the, of the temple uh, for their uh, uh, God complex, for their, for their arrogance and pride, he reminded them that God does not need Abraham. God can make children from stones. This goes back to a true, like from my own perspective as a Gnostic alchemist, that it's the golem. It's this ancient Kabbalistic reality that it, the true science of the world, our true knowledge and power of the universe, is to create life out of seemingly inanimate objects. That's impossible for it's a the, the question of what, how can you create a species? Uh, life form um, from different material choosing silicon or carbon choosing um, flesh and bone stone um, like trees, trees are alive they're made of a keratin and a square cell, all vegetation has square cells this is what I'm saying, like the difference between plants and animals both are alive and on earth, and earthlings and they have such radically different but complementary life paths that one, if viewing it from an animal-centric viewpoint, does not consider plants to truly be alive, but if one considers it from a plant standpoint, does not consider animals to be anything more than like a parasite on Earth that is surviving simply from the existence of plants, and that it's more like a a rogue uh, plant, like it's very complicated, and then you have funguses which are neither plant nor animal, but a combination of the two, and then the ideas of extreme, like what is bacteria, single cell life forms what is that, like where cells are rogue and separate, and they like an amoeba, but if a bunch of cells get together, if a bunch of amoebas get together then they're flesh as I say, like you gotta think of what flesh really is and you're like, it's basically a bunch of amoebas that are teaming up to form your skin cells and your flesh cells and that what you think of your limbs and your organs are actually millions of cooperating single cell things called human cells, like blood cells and then that is made up of DNA and RNA and it, it it's to get to the final product which is a human being one has to really come to terms with the universal complexity of what the term life really is. So, in all of this complexity, giants, like I said, it's not a matter of what they eat, what they drink. It's a matter of what really is life, what really is alive. And the imbued shared intelligence the desires and goals and ideals of that life while it's alive 
and maybe in their pursuits, regardless if they were giants originally, regardless if they were, you know, um, uh, of any faith or origin or peoples or race or ethnicities, they created these statues of themselves, these robots, these vehicles, and imbued them with their consciousnesses. But now forever, if they weren't officially destroyed, with their one weakness appearing to be water, um, since it seems to damage their systems and prevents them from, like, you know, and even then, we don't know that. They, they could have simply walked into the sea and now just live on the sea floor. Um, I'm assuming that has its own set of rea- real ramifications and consequences, just as being exposed to the surface or in a forest does. Um, but the ones that are very clearly seen are seen on mountainsides, are seen in rocky environments or in deserts, which leads me to believe that they are best preserved in dry or arid environments like all machinery and reliquary and and technology is now this of course is just an estimation from the outside looking in Um, and it's meant to say that yes they, they, they seem superior than simply beings associated with a biological life cycle um they seem to be like the Talos, which is this Greek legendary robot that would defend this island against intruders and protect the Golden Fleece. And the the idea that the ancient Greeks would talk about in such detail a gigantic humanoid robot made of brass that would walk around the island three times a day on a patrol in this tireless, endless defense of the island. That's well above their reading level at that point. They should have been talking about wine and orgies and how good, like, meat tastes. Not like, oh yeah, there's a hundred-foot-tall fucking metal man that lives on an island, and if you go to this island, he'll kill you. By throwing, like, a boulder at you. And you're like, what does it eat? He's nothing, he's a robot. He's like this metal statue that's, like, huge. And it walks around and, like, fucks people up. And you're like, why would they make that up? <laughs> why, why, how does that have any relevance in a Greek's life? And they hear, like, 5,000 BC. And like, how is that, like, like, you guys just figured out sandals. <laughs> like, he's like, you guys just figured, figured out how to, like, like, do sports and shit. And you guys talk about giant robots? It's way above the ideas that they imagined it and more evidence to suggest these beings either created AI or they created robots to, to preserve their society or they became these creatures themselves and thus defend the or used to defend the remnants of their society but now observe mankind's progress from the most the furthest edges of society but it's not because their populations are inherently low or that they're vulnerable or weak or that they fear mankind but the fact that there have been cosmic forces enforcing this isolation separation maybe even protecting mankind 
um, both through threats of force and by physical force itself. This could also explain, for example, uh, mankind's uh, like a lot of phenomenon, like the the wars underground, the mysterious explosions heard at night across the world, the sounds called skyquakes in the far north, like in Sweden and in England and in uh, New York and stuff, um, where there are these massive booms and and sounds of metal and things like horns blowing. Um, it could it could make a lot more sense for things like natural disasters, rock slides, etc., forest fires. Um, all of it could add up. I'm not here to say one way uh, or another how they relate up, but that's something for proof of thought. A lot of things that we relate as natural disasters could be the responsibility, or could be yeah, it could have been caused. These giants could be responsible for it. It could be the responsibility of the giants. It could be because of them. That people, when they go missing, jungle expeditions, um, ruins of cities, etc. Uh, Solomon Islands come to mind. The reason why a lot of Solomon Islands are still unexplored or unnamed, it, they could, even by the natives, who do describe these giants. You know, there could be um, a reason why uh, Antarctica, you know, that's just uh, the obvious Antarctica, but like the North Pole... Um, like I said, mountain ranges around the world. Um, everywhere from Central Mexico to Latin America, South America. Um, there seems to be places that aren't even on the map. And it's because our society does not control the world as fully as we think it does, but rather coexists with other ultra-terrestrial species, life forms, and versions of humanity. That is a very open-ended um, proposition because versions of humanity could range from one to a very far uh, second, like from, from point A to a very far point B which is like to say that humanity could be uh, savage, stone age type uncontacted primitives or we could be full on digital programs living in computers and cave systems as a collected AI hive mind all of it's human Everything in between is human. It all originated from the chromosomes, and I theorize that even all life on Earth is ultimately the same animal. Ultimately, what we would call human, everything is simply a mutation of that human DNA. This is why we are 98.9% the same as a chimpanzee. We're 97% the same as a banana. People, people, It's in their faces, but they can't just figure it out. That all of life on Earth is from the same DNA. All of it is the same root, which is the single cell, mammalian cell, the mitochondria cell. Everything else is just the evolution that billions of these cells decide to choose, or are fit, shaped and formed to choose through RNA programming. Nanotechnology, if left alone on a planet, but then rediscovered, appears to be like biology. It is indistinguishable the ecosystems that are created from AI nanotechnology and real biological evolutionary um, environments like forests, seas, oceans, uh, etc. What appears the intermixing and evolutionary necessities, the niches, the inter the interconnections between um, food sources and predators, etc. It's all mirrored 
by the designs of nanotechnology if tasked with survival and terraforming of its own environment. Like you can put it in a blank space and overnight it will create a universe modeled after the natural logic of nature. Nature is as artificial as artificiality and artificiality is as natural as nature. Thus, these creatures playing God could have given themselves newer, superior forms that were separated from the weaknesses of their old forms and in doing so caused a separation from their own source, from the creator source. And the creator source, not recognizing them, locked them out of their old world. And this could be metaphysical, like they angered their god by choosing not his physical form and design, not his temple, the body, but they chose temples of their own creation. This could also be physical in a way that, say, an AI operates this matrix of a world and keeps everything running safely. When they switched bodies, they were no longer recognizable by the AI. The codes and passwords no longer worked, and thus they were shut out of much of their previous accomplishments, forcing them back to square one the same way that, yeah, congrats, you're now a robot, but now you literally cannot open your, your house to get back in your house so you have to figure it out from square one, and society then has to kind of—they chose either the, they either fell from grace, destroyed each other in their desperation, or um, you know then went to hiding. How the Nephilim are destroyed in the Bible is very important. It's not talked about. It just says that there was Nephilim, and then the flood happened. They knew about the flood. They felt they, they're the ones who caused it, right? And they tried to apologize, but then they were given no mercy and they were destroyed. The world is then cleaned of the Nephilim and of the uh, giants. But then the giants survived through, uh, through Noah's wives, or Noah's son's wives. Um, so the giants are not the Nephilim. Nephilim are not the giants, etc. The Nephilim, I think, is what we're talking about here. After, after talking about this for so long, the point I want to make is that we're talking about Nephilim. We're not talking about nine-foot-tall people. We're not talking about ten-foot-tall people. We're talking about beings that are not biological, that are like 30 to 100 feet tall. Bigfoot is big. He ain't fucking 60 feet tall. Is what I'm saying. Like, Bigfoot is a giant. He's like 12 feet tall. He weighs like 800 pounds. It's a big dude. I'm talking about a Godzilla-sized man. I'm talking about a man the size of the Empire State Building. I'm talking about a man that's like 900 feet tall, and it's not that like, he's like it's the size of like you can just like you of a mountain, like you know. It's like he's he's it's not comparable to life on earth. It's not like he's an elephant. It's not like he's a giraffe or a whale. It's like he's a man-made... It's like the Statue of Liberty. It's like the Mount Rushmore guys. Like a 60-foot-tall face made of stone. And it has the computers to operate it. It's high technology to allow it to move. Imagine if George Washington 
uh, or, or imagine Abe Lincoln from the Lincoln Memorial got up out of his chair and started fucking walking around. That's what I'm talking about. That's what what we're seeing in these photos. That's what people are talking about when they talk about giants. They're not talking about a big dude. They're talking about stone giant men that are not men. And they're they're like... That's why it's just easily easiest to describe giants that way. They're easiest to describe, but there's a difference. Those are Nephilim. Those are beings created that are more like God than they are like humans. But they are they, they have this weird bridge where they look exactly like us in many cases. Their society is very much... We, our society is from them in many ways. And it, 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 it's very complicated. It's like there's a lot of intersections at that point. Once you start getting into the, the nebulous swirling discussion of they're real, but how real in, in what way are they real type thing. We're not talking about a 10 foot tall dude. We're talking about a 100 foot tall stone man or a man made of like plastic or steel or like some kind of metal and like we're talking about a full on iron giant type kind of guy. Like type, type, type being, right? Like he's like, like this is a had the mind and the personality and the emotions of a human being, but in a, a timeless, invincible exterior. And you can say, why are they not just attack? Because I told you before, there are cosmic powers and forces and different agendas, and they're not wanting. They live in isolation in the utopia, probably in these mountain ranges from the Himalayas to the Rocky Mountains. Uh, this is truly still their world, not the fate of man. Mankind is not theirs. But truly the world, the stone that they, they chose to, to be is truly uh, forever their home. Now I'm going to play the uh, Roger and KC video and speak along with it um, to kind of show you what he's talking about, how he talks about it, and, and to kind of describe what's going on. Well, let's go on to our next photo. This picture was taken in 2008 by a Korean mountain climbing team, and they went up to this area right here. We're going to take a closer look at this area down here and pay particular attention to this little dark square area. This photograph is a, a good example of why I went into some detail about pareidolia earlier in the video. If you glance at this and you're just going back and forth between videos and you're watching HD videos most of the time with vivid color and all of that, you're not going to see it. You, first off, you need to stop the video where it is. Well, not right now, but when I'm done talking about it, stop it, yeah, then you will be able to see it. I'll do some enlargements. This is a large group of people. And you can start, I'm going to start pointing some out. Like, here's a person here. Here's a person here. And they don't look like humans. You see that face? It's kind of a big blocky head. These are not human beings. Here's a person here. Here's a big group of individuals. See the little... They're not little. They're probably... And I can't I can't measure on Google Earth because it's, it's so contorted. Uh, I'm guessing in the 80-foot range... 80 foot tall I hear you laughing now. 
More people. I call them people over here. Here's some sort of signage up here. Uh, looks like a number five and a five is predominant in most of these photos. Now, the, the cherry on the icing on the cake here is this, what appears to be this window. And this guy is in there. And he's looking out. And he's really big. Let's make it a little bit bigger. These men are 80 foot tall on that side of them. The face alone is 80 feet tall. Hang on, let me, let me adjust this a little bit. And he's peering out of this cave. It's unmistakable that it's his face. And uh, I'm sure you see the, the guy. And I think the figures will maintain their integrity in the photo here. And here, here they are. Here's our, our big guy. He sort of looks like he's happy in there. Looks like a guy wearing a fuzzy hat. A human being would be minuscule if you can see them in this picture. Here's the devil over here. Here's a guy over here. Um, um, a little bit bigger. There he is again. And I think I'll leave it. Well, we'll go one more after this. See how that works out. There it is. So when it gets this big, I really, like I said earlier, I can't see it, so I'll take it down a notch or two. Um, one thing that I, I also notice that is prevalent, and that is, 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 is some of these things have an ancient look to them, but many of them. <laughs> look like they've been recently updated, um, which leads me to believe this is a current, ongoing society. That's a pretty trippy picture, and believe it or not, believe it or not, there are some other trippy pictures. Let's go to our next photo. This is interesting. This is a colorized picture, and it's right beneath the area we were, we were just looking at. Of, of, the, of these mountain ranges, and these mountain ranges, while seemingly completely natural and untouched, um, or only untouched by man, that they are actually just like the roofs of these underground, subterranean cities, hollow earth places, and not even that, the industrial accesses, the, like a... Ventilation, water collection, things like that. They're defended much like how roads in the country have gates. Where they seemingly unconnected, untraveled roads are seemingly only protected by the fact that they're literally in the middle of nowhere. And, and they have just, you know, the gates. Like, you know, devices left behind, technologies left behind to prevent any unwanted visitor or any unwanted trespasser. So even if we did find them, yes, I'm pretty sure the military is exploring them. I'm pretty sure the military's uh, reason for spying, using the SR-71, etc., U-2, um, was spe satellites specifically to find these entrances. They are extremely well hidden. 
societies could form and fall in the natural course of human history without ever knowing these were there. If they didn't purposely look. If we weren't aware of it. I know that this uh, individual, Roger Casey, is one of the only people who are actually doing that kind of research, where they are looking at old nature photographs, old postcards, old mountain climber photos, and looking and examining what is seemingly a natural phenomenon, but it, if you start taking into account resolution, uh, image resolution, uh, camouflage, the ideas of bunkers, and what we know of, of concealing uh, a society... And at the same time, what we are learning about this ancient race of giants, I'm not talking about looking for giant troll men or, or like, you know, a guy in a loincloth, like carrying a tree for a club. You know, I'm not talking about someone who would be like needing to go to the, like, relieve himself by defecating or eat or needing, like say, like uh, to, to um, expose themselves like that. I'm talking about people who are able to keep sentinel watches, like, you know, uh, for hundreds of years without moving. I'm talking about civilizations that exist uh, in, in ways of, of exactly like, like total concealment, like intentional total concealment. And valleys and mountains, but they wouldn't even they wouldn't even allow that because they're in their technological genius. They would know planes exist. They would know aircraft are possible. They would know surveillance was real. They would have done those things. And the reason why I want to end this on, in the way of talking about technology, yes, it's fascinating. These physical giants, these physical Nephilim exist. These titans exist. Um, but one has to think that because they exist as the creator made them to be like gods, to be engineers, to be capable of creating technologies and to manipulate the world around them, maybe that never stopped. Most likely it never did. Most likely their focus isn't on the extraterrestrial, the cosmic, the, 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 the outer space, the other worlds. But they have similar advanced technologies, just like how Solar Warden, just like the Earth Alliance, the Ashtar High Command, um, are using technologies to master the stars, to master the galaxies, the distances, uh, master interdimensional spaces and times. These creatures, these beings, because I believe they evolved in the time of the Orion Draco, or at least were created during the time of the Orion Draco, have used their technologies to create hollow earth vehicles, hollow earth UFOs, hollow earth technologies like elevators, tunnels, um, that are as advanced as the other races' spaceships, as the other races' space uh, vessels, cruisers, things like that. The technology that you would see the Greys having, for example, in their uh, time travel or their uh, genetic experiments, these giants are just as capable but their work is centered into harnessing Earth's energy, into into controlling the fabric and reality of the Earth. Um, and that when you actually break it down on paper, and I said this before, all of the solar system, the physical matter of all the planets put together is not enough to equal the density 
and the actual um, size of the Earth, the actual volume of the Earth. People think the Earth is small. And I, it's very strange, the ideas, the concepts that I'm talking about. People think the Earth in the solar system is small. It's one of the smaller planets. It's not. Absolutely isn't. It's huge. It's like Jupiter. It's like, you know, Saturn. It's, it's a massive planet. Uh, the moon is only 2% of the volume of the Earth. They, in their wisdom, everything they do seems to be proof of their brilliance and their wisdom and their genius, including not being involved with humanity, including keeping themselves secret. Like, yes, transferring your consciousness into a invincible, immortal statuary. That shows genius. Building a hollow earth civilization inside the Rocky Mountains or around the world's mountains like Tibet, uh, the Himalayas and stuff. That shows genius. You know, but to... You know, um, choose to focus on earth and specifically the center of earth in terms of mineral wealth and, and <clears throat> like that is you know this that is probably the greatest jewel in the solar system itself and I said this before this is why the Astro High Command are fighting for humanity why humanity has such a great place to start our evolutionary uh, journey why the Orion Draco um grew so powerful from exploiting the energies and the abilities of the earth but I would like to also reference it if they have more dominion and control in the hollow earth and the Ashtar are already aware of it their uninclusion into the earth alliance stands to be very mysterious it could be because they're not considered biological life forms. It could be because they themselves don't want to be a member of this group. The Earth Alliance. I have trouble, though, imagining that they would be hostile to the Earth Alliance. In fact, if anything, I believe that their roles have been already foretold in the stories, uh, or already told in the stories of the Greek pantheon, the Greek Mount Olympus, um, the, the, the War of the Titans, um, where Zeus employed the Cyclopses, the giants that lived in the mountains, uh, to forge his thunderbolts and weapons and the flying chariots of Apollo and things the the armor and that these these um, titans were the winning factor in the war or the winning factor of the war of the gods from the new gods to the old gods the new gods being represented by the Ashtar High Command the old gods being represented by the Reptilian Draco Alliance the Orion Draco Reptilians. That that axis 
of reptilian power that controlled not only this world but many others. Defeated by the new gods arriving from a new heaven, the giants could have been the ones all this time pushing them, containing them from the hollow earth, fighting them from the inside, and observing and defending mankind. But now mankind is able to defend itself. But in our sheltered naivete, our ignorance, we are actually attacking the giants that we encounter in the wild, unable to distinguish between friend and foe. Or, now, enlightened enough with alien education with extraterrestrial intelligence to give them their share of the world, to give them the third of the world that they deserve, the hollow parts of the world, the mountain ranges of the world. I don't think that the future is going to have a conflict uh, between mankind and giants. I don't think that the giants are hostile in any way. I believe that they're capable, they're genius engineers, they're brilliant, they're invincible in their own truth and strength. But I believe that we share this world with them. They were directly um, um, I guess you call it um at war with uh, the Orion Draco. They were actively allied with the Ashtar High Command in, in terms of creating Earth-based weaponry, 3D-based weaponry with them, uh, for them to use in this realm. Remember, the Ashtar being 5D at the very least, uh, the very lowest, thus needing help to navigate this 3D realm. They may have been the actual kingdoms that the Ashtar High Command chose to use as the first fighters, as the first uh, nations many ways of the true aboriginal versions of humanity. It's very strange that their secrecy will probably persist well into the fact that humanity has colonies and bases publicly disclosed on the moon and Mars, and in the deepest of the of the of the uh, reaches of space, because of their great stature, both in history and physically in the moment, and their great kingdoms, and their great population, and their great abilities and knowledge, currently under our feet. Maybe it just goes to prove that the easiest way to keep the biggest secrets is to hide them in open sight.
maybe humanity has trouble seeing the trees from the forest. Just like it has a way of not seeing the giants in the mountains. If there are any giants listening to this right now, capturing this message, or just tapping into the Earth uh, Service Human Internet, uh, you know, welcome. I bid you an alliance. I bid you great hospitality and respect. And the first of peaceful communications between the human race and the race of giants. Let me extend the olive branch. Let me extend the peace offering. The open hand of friendship. Because Texas means friendship. And Texas also has a huge historical record with previous giant existences. I feel like that would be a great subject for its own episode right there. The, the history of giants in Texas. And then you could, yeah, I would go into exploration of how Texas used to be part of a greater Yucatan, Mayan, Aztec empire. But that is a tale for another time. That's a story for another time. Thank you all very much for joining me on this, uh, this talk about giants. It's an incredible conversation. Um, I just wanted to clarify, I don't consider it cryptozoology. I consider it a type of anthropology. I consider it a type of xenobiology. Um, they are a culture as advanced and obviously as, as developed and as numerous and as thriving and as dominant as any society on the surface of the earth. They are a mystery to even the most uh, well-read and researched of scholars. It's a great known unknown. A mystery of the highest order. But there are researchers like Roger and Casey, like myself, like a few others, that are really looking into it, looking at theories like the mud flood, looking at theories like mud fossil theories, looking into things like our geological um, formations, mountains, etc., being the remains of formerly biological, formerly living creatures, and being identifiable as such, petrified through some intense disaster or cataclysm or action a weapon used against them things like rocks that share the resemblance of the marbling of flesh things like jewels being the, the solid crystallized blood of former creatures things like the red dirt and soil being the remains of previously living beings now dust over time thank you everyone for joining me if you would like to support or follow me uh, further you can check out my Instagram at beyond top secret Texan check out my TikTok at beyond top secret Texan check out my YouTube youtube.com slash c slash beyond top secret Texan or just the at Beyond Top Secret Texan. I like to keep it all streamlined. 
Anchor FM at Beyond Top Secret Texan. If you guys want to check out just the podcast page, if you are listening to this now, you're listening to one of many directories, nine plus directories available, many others. Um, reach out to me on social media, leave a comment, tell me the platform you choose, um, how you guys found me, etc. I love hearing your stories about that. Really motivates me and helps me uh, learn how to better um, spread the word. But in doing that and advertising, I have to always uh, remind myself that the reason why my channel is growing and my numbers are skyrocketing is because the good people out there who are listening right now, after two hours, the people who have guts, the people who are the troopers, the diehards, share this channel. Share this channel with your friends, share this channel with your family, share this channel online, share this podcast uh, on 4chan, Reddit, etc. Just share Get this word out. Get the show um, as much exposure as possible within your circles, amongst your friends and family, etc. Um, yeah, I try to cover a lot of topics because myself, I am personally passionate about a lot of topics, but I also know that everyone likes variety. So if you have someone who's into cryptozoology, show them my cryptid episodes. If you have someone who's into UFOs, show them my UFO episodes. Someone in conspiracy, show them my conspiracy episodes, etc., etc., etc. Without you guys, you know, I wouldn't be nearly um, on, the, on, the, on the journey up as I am. And you guys are motivating me with your positive messages, with your support. If you'd like to fund independent journalism, uh, citizen journalism, and the truth uh, in, in the worlds of ufology, cryptozoology, not just the big names, but the independent small, uh, the, the independent underdog like myself, then you can do so by joining my Patreon, patreon.com slash beyondtopsecrettexan. You can check out my PayPal, my coffee, both Beyond Top Secret Texan. Uh, for only a dollar, you guys can purchase uh, access to direct messaging, conversations, etc. with myself. I'd be happy to answer any questions that arise during any one of my uh, episodes. Um, just give me time. I try to my best to answer all of them every day. Um, as I cycle through all the messages. So if yours hasn't been reached yet, just give it time. Um, I check my messages, but, but you know, I'm only one man trying to run this entire project, um, investigative journalism LLC, by myself, creating diverse digital content, uploading, making sure and moderating uh, all my pages to keep from uh, falling victim to the bots and shields, etc. This filters out all that uh, antagonistic hostility shows me you're one of the good guys, shows me you're somebody I can trust. Starting at a dollar, you join the Facebook group, uh, Facebook page, I know, you join the YouTube page, sorry, the Facebook page got canceled. That's all I was going to say. Facebook page got canceled, I'm not on Facebook, uh, but the YouTube page there for you guys. Um, Patreon, everything, at Beyond Top Secret Texan. Uh, thank you guys very much. Um, namaste and shalom, iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. God bless you and your families. Peace out.